there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bone in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the way of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord from men of the world whose portion is this is in this life you fill their womb with treasures they are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants as for me i shall behold your face in righteousness when i awake i shall be satisfied with your likeness psalm 17 in the esv well, hello and welcome to another Balm in Gilead podcast. I'm Grant Baker and uh, sitting across the country from me at a contractually obligated... Oh, wait, what show is this? I don't remember, but I'm not all the way across. I'm just more like a couple states over. I think. I don't know if you listened to the lightest form of flogging, the la- not this latest episode that came out like today, but the one that came out the um, week prior. And Jim actually threw another... Uh, Balm of Gilead reference in there, which I was very happy about. Thanks. Anyway, I think I listened to the one before that one. Oh, I'm okay. behind. Well, I'm so I'm so behind. I love you, Jim. <laughs> I love you, David. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the shout out, man. Um, anyway, uh, we have quite a show cooked up for you. Part two of three. Um, At of least. an originally one part episode. At yeah. least. 
yeah, it'll have to be at least three because we're not going to finish it today. Um, right. So if this yeah. is your first time to ever listen to a Balm and Gilead episode, please listen to episode 16.1 first because uh, you'll need to, you'll need to know that. And also it's probably good to like go listen to all of the other episodes because we build. <laughs> Yes, we do. Uh, and I hope you like them. Uh, let us know in Slack at slack.techreformation.com where you can sign up to talk with us, uh, talk about worship, talk about uh, a lot of other things, including tech yeah. uh, or, or you can uh, share... the other shows on the Tech Reformation show. Yeah, you can also like share YouTube links of the worshiping with us because that's what Oh, uh, listener word. Chris Seahorn did, and we appreciate Thank- that. That was a good, Thanks was a good time for that, Chris. <laughs> yes, yeah. Chris is a is a friend of mine at church, and uh, he listens to this podcast like a wise gentleman that he is. And he joined the Slack channel, and you can too. And if you and- listen to the lightest form of flogging, and you get all the way to the end of the episode and listen to their theme song, I am telling you to go find your invitation and join us on Slack. (laughs) And that is for this show as well. Excellent. Uh, Thank you for extending that invitation to our listeners as well as theirs. And one random episode of tech reformation. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot about that one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Tech reformation. They, it's like they have a couple of episodes here and there, but hopefully they'll, they'll get back up and running at a more manageable rate or whatever. Um, Either that or we do a, you know, a hostile takeover and um, we're all of a sudden talking about tech, which I am not qualified. We should uh, just to, start talking talk about, about creatively creating creativity with other creatives. That would be the Helvetic podcast. Um, which doesn't and exist we could anymore. do that too. Well, oh, how many podcasts? It's time to bring it back. Time to bring anyway. It back. Anyway, <laughs> you are not listening to any of those podcasts. You're listening to Bomb and Gilead. And, yes. um, the and, crown jewel, as they say. Yes. Of, I don't. I think only your mom says that. <laughs> I don't think my mom listens. <laughs> All right. So uh, on Slack, uh, after last episode, we had a good conversation with uh, listeners Brad Banhoff, and I uh, am so sorry, Brad. First of all, I I, I knew this. We even had a conversation. Um. And he, he actually did send in his uh, deathbed playlist, uh, or sent, not playlist, but sent in uh, a, a couple, a, a couple songs. of songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned last episode that there was only one person, Karen, we, we still appreciate very much. Uh, did you check the mailbag? Have we had any, any other lists come in yet? Um, I think the only mail we received was a... Um was a solicitation to join some sort of podcast ring that I didn't. Um, I saw that too. I was like, I was like oh, we should. Huh. <laughs> we're already kind of in one, but you know, that's whatever. Yeah. Uh, but no, the more the merrier. No, uh, I, I've put together one, but I, I'm having trouble shutting off the last five songs. I have 25 songs and I think that I'm happy with that. And I, and I can share that list in the, in the show that, that's actually yeah that's what i was going to reference uh was that you sent in a list and i still have yet to it's hard uh, 
do that. Yeah. It's it, a lot of people be like, I'm having trouble coming up with like two. It's like, I'm having trouble getting it below a hundred. Oh um, yeah. 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 It's, it's really hard. Like narrowing down, like what are these songs, these songs that, that you consider to be, to be yours. Um, I think music ministers have a harder time of the, the overshotting than most other people, but I would, yeah, I could see that because people otherwise, you know, they'll, they'll go with their, their favorites. And then right. beyond that, it's sort of like, well, what now? Yeah. And so, so listener Brad Banhoff and also uh, listener, uh, Andre Ratchison, uh, yeah, they, uh, they joined in, in the conversation and, uh, brought up some good points that I wanted to kind of talk about. So our icebreaker today is just going to be kind of an extended follow-up and uh, kind of piggybacking off the discussion that was there. Because we love our listeners. They're do. all our favorites. Every single one of them, especially the three that really participate. Uh, <laughs> so in my like my list of questions that I ask when I'm going over songs, I have categories of... Uh, of excellence and of beauty. And we talked about those last episode about excellence and beauty. And there was a little bit of confusion uh, about specifically um, like, why am I calling excellence, excellence and beauty, beauty when beauty is a type of excellence to which I say, very good points. I spent some time putting titles on things but I consider that list of questions to not be a, a hard cement. I think of it as a wet cement. And so I'm taking some time to, <laughs> um, and hard cement is also called concrete. Um, it is not a concrete. He's list. trying to say that we're listening to you. Yes. Dear listeners. And we're, I'm going to care. make some adjustments. So I wanted to say that there are some important distinctions between beauty and excellence. Uh, when when I use the word beauty, when I use the word excellence, uh, especially in the last episode, uh-huh. beauty is what I consider to be more about the, the surface reception of the song, whereas excellence is like a more nuanced and technical underlying aspect. So if something is beautiful, that's how it's received. Like I, I hear the song and I receive that as as beautiful. And mm-hmm. one person might see it as more beautiful than another uh, you know, the old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, some people will hear something and they don't understand it at all and they don't consider it to be beautiful. Um, whereas when I'm talking about excellence, I'm talking about like the um, the work that went into it. You know, how much work went into this song. Kind of uh, like the discipline. The of, discipline, yeah. How, and, and, and practice um, and all that. Right. And so I talked a lot about like okay. the music theory. Like if you can tell, you know, there's some songs you can listen to and you can tell that this writer knows more about music theory. Oh uh, um, yes. This one has excellent prosody. And, uh, and, and prosody is, is prosody is more of a, of a beauty category, but, um, <laughs> I was just saying my big word. Okay. Yeah. Your big word. Um, <laughs> yeah. Schenectady. <laughs> That's four. Four in a row. There we Thank go. Thank you. Um, except for I pronounced the city in New York. Uh, so I don't. Anyway, uh, that's all right. It's fine. Uh, so that said, um, I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to make a change. I'm not going to call it excellence anymore because I think excellence is a broader category that covers beauty, but also uh, covers um, it also covers the composition of the song. And so by composition, I'm talking more about how it was composed or how it was constructed. And so uh, the makeup of it kind of, yeah, like how it's put together. Yeah. Like how it's put together and like, you know, the, the difference between like an art and a craft. Sure. Um, um, I mean, what I would say, call that is, is like a craft is maybe something that's uh pre-formatted and you kind of like put it together or whatever. Whereas art is really a creative act uh, where you're describing something maybe about yourself, something that you're thinking about or, or whatnot and really expressing it. Um, you know, whereas a craft is this sort of a mm, leading some level of intrinsic value, uh, be it high or be it low, um, to just a particular conglomeration of objects. Sure. Like, and, and I like to think about like a, a counterfeit, um, someone who is, who is a counterfeit painter, they may be mm-hmm. able to reproduce a Van Gogh so brilliantly oh, that you cannot gotcha. tell the difference between the two. However, you give them a blank piece of paper and say, write something new and original. They can't do it. Did you ever see White Collar? I was actually thinking about White Collar when I said that. I love that show. White Collar was fantastic. Um, So I was thinking exactly of White Collar whenever I made that that reference. And So So our definitions of craft there were a little bit off, just to clarify. Um, You're thinking of craft more as – like a craftsman um, or somebody who, who is very uh, extremely skilled in a particular uh, way of working um, yeah. and reproducing. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So like I was thinking craft time at Bible school, which, and, and you know, piggybacking off of that, you know, someone can cut, come and cut all of the pieces out that you need to, but you still have to be pretty skilled to get it to look like the picture on the back of the box. Um, and so if you're good at crafting things, you're good at putting them together and making them look right. Um, however, you may not be able to actually get a blank piece of wood and create something brand new. And so when I think of beauty, I think of the ability to take all of the pieces that are there Mm -hmm. and, and come up with something that is just breathtaking. Um, mm. It may not be incredibly original, but it may mm-hmm. it may put it may bring you to tears. You know, I mean, it's mm. it it is it takes a lot of skill and mm-hmm. a lot of excellence to to create something beautiful. Um, however, in the composition aspect, you know, it takes a different kind of excellence to be able to um, to take even things that can be learned. And, and to create something new and, and original. Um, and so I, one, one thing that, that I've said, it's, it's not, generally speaking, difficult to make something beautiful. Many people have the ability to hear and replicate or improvise music uh, that is objectively pleasing. Um, and this is an important attribute to, uh, to music and music quality, uh, the ability to to make something that is objectively pleasing. But when I'm talking, yeah, about, those are the, generally the songs I like listening to better than. Yeah. Now the, <laughs> yeah, 
and, and some people can't. And so just generally speaking, if you are a musician, if you have any musical skill, it's not hard to make something beautiful. Um, but when I'm talking about excellence as a category, I, I'm, I'm talking about compositional excellence and the originality of the song. And so that's why I'm, I'm changing it to the word composition. So from here on out, when I review songs, I'll talk about the composition category. Um, and beauty, it's, it's really something that anyone can learn the basics of, but, mm-hmm. it, but it does require a good amount of natural ability to excel at it. So you can get to a certain level just from like the, just from learning and studying, but you have to have a good ear, um, and, and sometimes a, you know, a, a naturally good ear to really, really excel at it. Uh, composition on the other hand, it's, it's more about learning how all of the pieces fit together correctly. And anyone can learn and excel in the area, but having a natural ability will get you there faster. And so when you mix composition and beauty, you need both. You need that ability to learn, but you also need that ability to hear, to really pursue excellence and create something original that is, um, that is incredibly pleasing to hear. Um, so... What I was, uh, what, what you're making me think of are uh, two general types of people mm-hmm. that we talk about a lot in my profession in, in user experience design, where you typically have uh, one type of person who's a generator, really great at coming up with all kinds of ideas, mm-hmm. and you, you know the the blank page uh, is not a hindrance, uh, so to speak. Then you also have a different kind of person who's a synthesizer and is really skilled at asking good questions and about distilling down what the generator is doing uh, and bringing that um, and focusing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And and the generator kind of like they keep, they, they help each other uh, to get to a better solution than either one of them would on their own. And it sounds like those two types of people are really come together in, in some of the best artists out there um is that what you're saying that is and and here's something that's kind of interesting for for about me so this is an insight into to me oh in general the real brian the real brian in general uh so in non-musical related things i'm totally a generator Mm -hmm. um totally like here's an idea i have absolutely no idea how to implement it is this even possible let's talk about it like I can come up with ideas very, very, very quickly, very easily. When it comes to writing music, I'm a synthesizer. Um, mm. I struggle with coming up with an idea. When I get an idea, I can synthesize it and I can write something really cool. But mm-hmm. I really, really struggle with with coming up with ideas for songs. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah. uh, it's actually the coming up with idea. Now, does that divide between like the the melody and the lyrics, or the harmony and the melody, or anything like that? Does it divide on any other lines? Just just with lyrics, huh? It's a uh, with melody, harmony, all that stuff. That stuff comes supernaturally to me, and by supernaturally, I don't mean one word, <laughs> I mean two words. I mean like totally naturally to me. Totally. It's totally. Um, and, and so that is something that, you know, I get a line 
like if I have a if I have a lyric, I almost immediately have a melody. Uh, no, Interesting. And okay. mel- the melody will tweak and it'll settle. Is is but I will almost always have a melody right away. Like that's something I rarely have to struggle with. Um, now when I'm putting it to chords, a lot of times I'll I'll struggle with coming up with a with a cool with a chord chart because sometimes it wants to become a really boring chord chart and so I need to spice it up which might tweak the melody a little bit. You only need 4 though, Brian. Oh, I G, like G, C, E minor and D. I've got like songs with 8 chords in them. What? Yeah, no, it's crazy. You're probably not sung in a lot of churches, I'm guessing. I am not. <laughs> um, they don't. They, they wouldn't know what to do with you. They wouldn't. Um, They're like, where do I put the capo? Yeah, I think that the the two chord, so like the A minor, is uh, the most underrated and underused chord. Uh, it is a very fun, very beautiful chord. Should be in more songs. The, yeah, it's just a C, but minor. No, A like, minor. Well, yeah, it's A minor, but it's like the key of C, but minor. That's how I think of it. Okay. Anyway. Does that make sense? It does. So in Doesn't the key, that have a connection? Well, in, in the key ahead. of C, in the key of C, A minor to C is the same as E minor to G. So if you're playing in the key of G, yeah. the E minor is the sixth chord. When you're playing in the key of C, the A minor is the sixth chord. And gotcha. The, and the E minor becomes the three chord, which is also uh, an underused chord. It's less easy to slip in than the two, but mm-hmm. it uh, it's fun. And if you can get away with it, if you can get away with it, throwing in a secondary subdominant, that's the stuff. And that's just for Brad Bay. This is insert insert crickets noise here. Um, Brad Bainhoff will mean, appreciate like, that, and that is all. <laughs> okay, I, I I will say I, those words sound familiar, but uh, <laughs> I never completed my training um, in in any kind of uh, music theory. Um, I'm looking over, and my high school music teacher is staring me down. Yes. From yeah. Um, anyway, so I want to talk about two songs. Yes. Uh, the first is "Blessed Be Your Name" by Matt Redman. Uh, that is that one? yes that one the chord chart for that is literally c g uh, i think it's c g d e minor <laughs> no no it's, it's c g e minor d is, is i'm pretty sure what, what that one is and it is that for the verses it is that for the chorus it is that for the bridge it literally is just the same four chords in the same order I've seen some arrangements that that kind of will tweak Throw it. Throw the A minor in there. No, it'll just it'll mm. tweak it around. The just, secondary subdominant. No, very few songs have a secondary subdominant. The prosody. Yes. Um, so okay. Uh, some arrangements will will throw in like we'll, we'll switch the chords around like during the transition just to make it interesting. But most don't. Uh, it's just it's a super super boring song chord structure wise. It, and sounds good at campfires. It sounds good at campfires, and that's fine. But <laughs> just chord structure wise, it is super super boring. But if you look at uh, the song Ten Thousand Reasons," also by Matt Redman, 
mm-hmm. also only C, G, E minor, and D. Um, oh. It is much more interesting because of the way that he that he alternates the chords. He doesn't keep one chord structure uh, and just go like on a loop. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's significantly different. Uh, the the chorus is different than the than the verses, and he has got a nice tag at the end where he gets what's called um, a deceptive cadence, where he goes to the E minor instead of the G. And you're like, oh, this means we're doing a repeat, and then you do a repeat, yeah. And so, and so that one sounds a lot nicer. And so I wanted to point that out that you can, with the same tools, create something that's boring and something that is really interesting. Uh, and that, and by interesting, I mean that it is it was more beautiful. I would consider Ten Thousand Reasons to be a more beautiful song than Blessed Be Your Name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I was thinking about all of this, this made me think of something interesting. Matt Redman is not like, he, he's, he's not like a, a year one student. You know, he's, he was in Sonic Flood, wasn't he? I mean, no, that was Jeff Deo. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. He, he was Matt Redman, uh, was he did a lot with Chris Tomlin and, and Passion? Oh, okay. Like those were like when I think Before of like the the like the creation of Passion and like the original lineup. He and Chris Tomlin were like n- number two and number one. So, um, so he was the second fiddle. But <laughs> um, he's got a lot of good stuff. Like he's not like some guy that's just figuring out how to write music. So why did he write such a boring song? And it got me thinking that we were talking about worship wars in the previous episode. And this song came out, Blessed Be Your Name, came out like during the height of the worship wars. As did songs like uh, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever and mm-hmm. Lord I Lift Your Name on High, mm-hmm. all of which are very boring songs. And it, it made me think about this. They came out at a time when churches were transitioning from piano uh, to guitar. So predominantly we had the hymnal and the piano and the accompanists just had to know how to read music. They just opened the hymnal to whatever they were told to. And then they'd they'd play Uh, a lot of times they don't even need to practice. They just open it and go. And, uh, and so when they were transitioning from this uh, piano based accompaniment to a guitar and band based accompaniment, a lot of churches started uh, started bands, and a lot of these instrumentalists learned their instruments specifically for the band. So they were not previously trained instrumentalists; they were learning a new instrument for the purposes of accompanying worship. Uh, I learned bass guitar to play in a church band, and uh, nice, yeah, and. I learned guitar not necessarily for the purpose of playing in church, but it was, it was definitely one of the reasons was so that I might play in church one day. Um, and so you look at GCE minor D if you don't, if you know anything about the guitar, uh, or about music theory, um, if you were to say G C two 
E minor seven and D suspended. Those are just kind of tweaks to the to the pure chords. Mm-hmm. And on a guitar, those those four chords, you don't move your pinky or ring finger at all. You're only moving your index finger and your middle finger. And and you're just and you're really only moving them a little bit. And uh and so when you're learning guitar for the first time, those four chords are very easy to learn. And um and so they're beginner songs. So they're not quote unquote boring songs. They are beginner songs. So all these churches were writing beginner music so that they so that these churches could learn to play these songs for their church. And um and I, I found that to be really interesting. And when you progress it now that now, like I would say the evangelical church is known for its bands, like mm-hmm. their bands are very accomplished. They, they can do a whole lot. They can do more than most musicians. And so, um, and so to, for a church band to get up and play, I could sing of your love forever. It's like, why would I do this? Why would I play that song? It's so boring when I can play, you know, oceans or Waymaker. Um, and uh, I, that's kind of how it became relegated to these are, these are now youth group songs and why did they become why are they accepted in youth group but not in big church because youth group is full of beginner instrumentalists <laughs> and so they're learning the songs so anyway i just thought that was really interesting no it makes sense i mean uh that's a uh yeah that's a that an interesting take for sure. You know, it made me wonder even as we're not getting into it today, but why did, um, why, why was there that change? Why was there that shift away Mm -hmm. from the, uh, organ led or piano led, uh, worship service to a guitar led, um, worship band. And, uh, I guess I don't really, I, I mean, I, I can tell you my personal story with that, but yeah. that's, you know, anecdotal. It's not necessarily uh, how it happened. And uh, I doubt, you know, we weren't, we weren't among the first. Yeah. Um, so where did it all come from? That is a very good question for a different day. Um, because I, <laughs> Because that's going to take some some research into a lot of that. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, you know, do I, something yeah. for that. I know, <laughs> I know a lot of information about a lot of that, but I don't know if I know many facts. So I'll have to take my information and figure out what the actual fact is on a lot of it. Um, if you know Matt Redman, meanwhile, get him on the show. Uh, I mean, tell him that we'd like to have him on our show. Yeah, I don't. Like. I don't know Matt Redman. Okay. But well. I do know somebody who knows somebody who might be interesting to have on the show. Okay. Well, then let's go for it. Yeah. I don't want to name names because I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. Okay. I mean, just because you're talking about Michael W. Smith, uh <laughs> Not nearly as accomplished, but, uh, yeah. So 
that was some stuff that we just talked about. Um, so kind of, I wanted to do a quick recap. Some of the stuff that we're talking about was that continuation of the conversation that we had about last episode. So I just want to recap part one. We talked about uh, key attributes of God, specifically his beauty, his permanence, and his perfection. And we talked about how um, God shares his beauty, and that's one of his communicable attributes. But his time, but the um, permanence and perfection are incommunicable. He does mm. not share those. But he gives us timelessness and excellence that we can... Uh, so he gives us a standard that we can really achieve. He gives us uh, a gift. He gives us the gift of timelessness that we can use to create something that can transcend time. And he, allows, I think, he compared it to like box music or something yeah, like that. That was yeah, how we can listen to popular Bach then, and handle. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. Or like a mighty fortress as our God has been a hymn that yeah. has lasted for five hundred years in multiple languages. Um, and he also allows us excellence so we can really, um, grow as, as artists. Um, and I I did talk about how there's no moral or theological weight tied to melody, harmony, and instrumentation. Uh, but there is an artistic and aesthetic weight tied to those. And that was, um, that was all we got through last week. And so hopefully we can finish the uh, the next few points that I had on on the outline, and then I will actually have to write out more points for the next episode. <laughs> hey, I, you're doing great, man. Hey, this was always going to be one of those bigger ones. I remember yeah. when we were in planning. <laughs> yeah, that um, this was a this is a big deal. It's one, a, yeah, so. it's a big one, and and it's all leading up. Even uh, ultimately, what we're getting to is emotions based theology in Mm -hmm. the music and how um and really identity politics which is a big deal so that's where i'm headed but we have a lot of groundwork to still lay so um last week we started talking about melody and harmony and what the bible says about melody and harmony but we didn't get to uh, we didn't have enough time for me to really get into it. So uh, I'm going to start this main topic by saying that God prescribes making melody in the New Testament, and God prescribes instruments for temple worship in the Old Testament. But the Bible does not have any direct prescription for harmony. Um, in Ephesians 5, 18-21, it says... And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God uh, for the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And uh, so we do have a clear, that is one of the two clear passages in the New Testament about singing. Uh, and it says making melody. And I, I've heard people use that as an argument where he, he doesn't say making harmony. He says making melody. Um, but, you know, it's he's clearly talking about singing. 
And uh, so that is a prescribed action, making melody. In mm-hmm. the Old Testament, uh, we have, in the Psalms especially, there are lots and lots and lots of references to using music, sure. to using instruments. Uh, the most clear is in Psalm 150. And in verses 3 through 5, it says, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Um, And so that is a a very, very clear uh, command to use these instruments. But this is also um, during temple worship. And these instrumentalists would have been trained Levitical priests. And so there is some disconnect between that and the New Testament. Uh, But I will get into that in a little bit. But I do think it is important to say the Bible does talk about instruments. And it talks about using them in in worship. It it does. To uh, play the other side for a moment, Mm -hmm. um, which I will say I'm a bit on the fence myself, but... It does say that in the Psalms, uh, instruments and things like that. And I think you're you're going to say something about like, uh, but instruments do not or are not mentioned in the New Testament. And I mean, part of that very well could be because um, like the offering of incense and the Levitical priesthood, uh, itself, uh, the temple and everything else, it's been fulfilled in Christ. And so we no longer need uh, those things. But I suspect that you're you're getting there. Yeah. But I just wanted to throw that in. Yes, and, and uh, that is important. There are multiple camps that about, about why in the Old Testament is there mm-hmm. instruments listed, why in the New Testament isn't there. And one of them is is definitely because it was meant for the temple worship, and when Christ fulfilled the temple worship, we no longer need any part of the temple um, because we can because we have Christ. And there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but Jesus didn't mention anything about musical instruments. He didn't mention anything about I am fulfilling all requirements of musical instruments. Like that wasn't part of his ministry on earth. And so because of that disconnect, God still gave us musical instruments. God still at one point wanted to be praised with musical instruments. And God is immutable, which means he does not change. And so I, I, I don't find that to be a very strong argument. Um, I, I'm going to say one more point before I really get into, into that, but that is that is a good point. And, uh, and there's more to it, especially the idea that the priests were the musicians trained for the temple. And, um, and we don't have a priesthood today. And, right. and a lot of what the priests did, we do not do anymore. And it was a very clear cut. The priests did things. We don't have priests anymore. Everything that the priests did have gone away. And so there's, there's, yeah, it's, there's some compelling argument for, for rejecting instruments, but I think God's immutability and his desire to be praised with instruments 
um, I, th I think trumps that. But we will go on to, we're going to talk about harmony, uh, and then mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get back into, into that, what the new, about the New Testament and in, in instruments. But uh, I have heard people making the argument with that Ephesians 5, 18 passage about making melody. And I've also heard people use Romans 15, 6. Um, it says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to mean that we must sing with one voice and not multiple voices, meaning um, parts of harmony. I, ah, I think that, that okay. I think that verse is incredibly weak, incredibly weak for that. I don't think it's talking about that. I think it's talking about with one idea, and mm -hmm. and so we are we are praising God with one heart, you know, with one um, with one message, with one song. Um, I, I think that the argument against harmony is very very weak, but the Bible does not really talk about harmony. And because the Bible doesn't talk about harmony, I think to say, like in the New Testament, that if we're allowed to sing harmony, but we're not allowed to use instruments, I think that there's a little bit of a double standard because the Bible doesn't talk about singing harmony. Um, and so I don't see how you can justify singing harmony if you take a very strict uh, regulative principle approach. Um, go ahead. So you would say unity, not unison. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what I would say. Um, okay. But I, I, mean, I mentioned this last week and I'll get into it some more. Um, in my seminary, we talked about the, the different worship practices of the reformers. And when we talked about John Calvin, we talked about how he would, uh, he would sing only scripture he would sing only with voices, meaning acapella, and he would sing mm -hmm. only melody. Like that was how they prescribed worship. And um, and I don't know if if what I mentioned in those particular passages influenced him more than just the complete absence of talking about harmony in the in the, the New Testament. And so the the Bible clearly says sing psalms. It does not clearly define hymns and spiritual songs. It clearly says sing with your voices. And, it, and the New Testament does not talk about instruments and does not talk about harmony. Therefore, John Calvin, with a very strict regulative principle, um, sang only melody, only psalms, and only uh, with voices. And uh, a couple years ago, I... Uh, took it upon myself to read the Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, biography by uh, yeah. by Metaxas. Okay, and yeah. uh, it was long. I, I even listened to it on the audiobook, and it was long. But uh, there is a big section where he talked about how he uh, he hated harmonies, like he felt like it was a huge distraction from what was going on. That he felt like people were just trying to outsing each other. And that he really uh, wished that people would only sing in unison so that they could really become that one voice. So, yeah. So I just want to talk about that. Um, so there are arguments for uh, for melody only. 
Uh, I would also like to say that I had a conversation with, um, with David McCookie, who has a very strict view on the regulative principle and he's, uh, he's pro harmony. Uh, he, he says that, uh, it's very pretty and, uh, he said some other things and I could pull it up, but <laughs> it is, it is very out. beautiful. Like, it um, is. so is. there are, there's an RPCNA church here in town, sort of, uh, they, they're, they're, they're trying to get going. And I will occasionally go over there for uh, if they have an evening service, which they don't always. Um, like I said, they're, they're without a pastor. They're trying to uh, work through all the uh, complexities of getting particularized. But um, they've been trying for a while now. And uh, so it is. It is quite beautiful to hear the harmony uh, when everybody is singing uh, all together. And a lot of them are, a lot of the Psalms are put to familiar, mm-hmm. uh, familiar to Christians um, who grew up singing hymns like me uh, are, many of them are put to familiar hymn tunes. And so it's very easy to kind of uh, join in, uh, I will say. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't try it, that's ha- what I'd say. Have you ever been to a shape note singing? Um, I've heard of shape notes but I've never been to a shape note singing. Have you? I, uh, we did, we had one at, at our seminary. Um, so it was just like the seminary students. So it's like mm. in one of our classes, we just, we kind of got around in a circle and we, we pulled out the shape note, uh, the Southern harmony, I think is the name of the, the hymnal. Mm. Um, so shape notes, they, um, in, in a given key, there are only seven different notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they would do is they would, uh, they would break them up into, into fours, uh, so that, uh, like the first four notes would have different symbols and then mm-hmm. like the next three notes would have, um, would have the different symbols as well. Um, so they would so each symbol would land on two different notes basically. And it just helped you be able to look at it and you could tell what the, what the interval was by looking at the notes and it helped you to learn how to read music. It was really cool, but they're very, um, we'll post a video. Yeah. We'll, we'll find one. We'll post a video. It's a, they're, they're very, um, I would say Appalachian sounding like a lot of the mm-hmm. arrangements. So they're, they're really cool. I, I enjoy doing that. Yeah. It, it's more uh, familiar to like uh, kind of a, a, a folksy yeah. sort of a sound, I believe, isn't it? Yeah. Is that about right? Okay. And that's what I'm well, we'll, Appalachia. Appalachia. Yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, definitely post a video for your edification and uh, enjoyment. All right. And so, um, I'm going to move on to a different type of argument. So, so far I've really tried to root this, this argument in, um, in scripture base, because I think that, that we have to, if we're going to make a bold theological statement, we need to tie it to the scripture as closely as we can. We need to show where the scripture talks about it. We need to show where the scripture is silent on it. Um, Mm. and so now I want to talk about something that, kind of speaks into the silence. And so where there is silence in the Bible, you know, we, we have these questions. Does it just mean no, 
or does it just mean that we are, we're not given the answer? Um, and so do we have liberty or do we need to stick with what we know is a direct prescription? And so what I'm going to say, I'd say veers into the territory of prima scriptura, which is scripture first. Um, but I really feel like this is completely in line with scripture. This isn't just, uh, this isn't a normative principle argument. This is a, uh, I really feel like, like this is something that the Bible really speaks into, even though it doesn't speak directly into it. A la the, the Trinity. You know, we don't have, the Bible doesn't talk about the Trinity, but we clearly can, can get a Trinity argument from, from clear Bible passages. So what you're saying is we're going to need to do some nece- good and necessary consequencing. We are going to need to do some good and necessary consequencing, which is a term I learned tonight, even though I've been a Presbyterian for almost like four years now. As a wannabe Presbyterian, teaching you that was the highlight of my evening. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, one of the things that in, in my degree at seminary, uh, it was I got a worship degree. It was an MA. And uh-huh. um, they were kind of doing like this experiment where they were wanting to get the, uh, they're wanting to do like sort of slashy degrees where you had a, a major and a minor, mm-hmm. but then they didn't really make it to where you could do any of them. It was really weird. Like they, there's major scheduling conflicts, but I uh, chose to take a minor in what was called missions and ethnodoxology. 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 So, something about people praising. Yes. Let the peoples praise you, O Lord. Pretty much. Which is Psalms 67-ish. And, um, and so I, um, yeah, I, I got this particular degree mostly because of the, the two or three I was really looking at. It was the one that I could actually fit into my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. It, it wasn't going to keep me there an extra year just to take two classes, um, <laughs> which is what the youth one would have done. So, um, anyway, it was uh, it was really interesting. I learned uh, so. There's a guy named Paul Neely. He was a missionary, and he kind of uh, he coined the term ethnodoxology. And so we talked a lot about like his uh, his work, and he actually came and was a guest professor for some of this as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my this particular uh, minor, I took an intro to missions class, I took a, an advanced missions class, I took a world music class, and I took an ethnodoxology class. And what ethnodoxology is, it is the idea of... Um, kind of ethnomusicology, which is like the study of foreign music systems and the and music practices and cultures, uh, mixed with the idea of creating original music, uh, specifically for the use of worship. And, uh, essentially like back in like the fifties when people mm-hmm. would become a missionary, what they would do is they would if someone was going to be a missionary to Kenya, they would translate just as I am into Swahili and then go and sing just as I am in Swahili. And so, um, 
on the one hand, it was very jarring because it was a very different <laughs> musical tradition, but it kind of now, yeah. <laughs> but now the church in Swahili cherishes the song just as I am in Swahili. Huh. So, you know, it, it, it didn't fail, but it wasn't the best. And so now what a lot of people will do, people that practice ethnodoxology, they will send people to go and just learn, like part of the missionary team, they will go and they will just be there to learn the music system. And so they will get involved with just the local musicians and learn how to play their music and learn their musical traditions and then redeem what they can redeem. And... um like there was a really cool example that they talked about how this one tribe had this one particular drum that they would only bring this drum out when the king was coming to their to their village and so it was mm-hmm. a it was a drum that was reserved for that and that only and so whenever the king was coming they would they would drum these special drums and so they use those drums now for Easter huh and because uh, that was celebrating the king coming, and so yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's kind of a mix of um, like doing an ethnography plus with a emphasis on the music yes. um, uh, that they're that they're uh, engaging in and the meanings thereof. Which uh, that's yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and and so it was it was it was really fascinating and. Uh, like there's another really interesting example where they were talking. They had he had this recording of this of this group just doing the song, and it was it was kind of like this. It's very chanty, you know. I, I'm listening to it, and it just sounds like something that you'd hear in in a movie that took place in Africa. You know, it's just it's their music. But he was talking about what it was and what it meant, and it was it was a praise song basically, and and it was I think quoting a lot of different scriptures and things. But this particular type of song was a song that would be sung to a person or about a person. Mm-hmm. And um, and at the end of the song, they would sing that the person's name. Like that was how they would always like basically sign off on the song. Hmm. And so when they got to the end of the song, they sang Amen. Hmm. And so it was, it was just the, the kind of way of, of saying, you know, like that, that was how they were going to end the song. And it was, it was kind of a mix of incorporating that because, you know, that's not, that's, that's an acultural term. Amen is just, mm-hmm. it's a biblical term. And so mm-hmm. uh, that was, that was how they incorporated it. That's really fascinating. Um, so they're going into these cultures. They're understanding not only the style of music, but also the meaning of the music and the, the cultural significance yes. of uh, particular bits of music, such as this particular song that is sung for um, a friend or yeah. a, a loved one of some kind. Um, I'm almost imagining uh, missionaries coming to uh, the American culture and learning about the song, happy birthday. And, mm-hmm. you know, then they make a, uh, a, a, a Jesus theme song that's easy to sing is about 20 seconds long. And, um, I don't know, I, I suppose we do that ourselves. I mean, yeah. 
So I guess what I'm trying to do is put on my ethnographer's hat here for a moment when I'm looking at our culture in our culture, but also I use that term very broadly, you know, mm-hmm. what you're talking about with this, this ethnodoxology yeah. where you're really diving into uh, discover the deeper meaning behind uh, which, which songs mean what have a particular meaning in them because they yes. have a cultural context. Yes. And by understanding the cultural context, you're able to understand then what role that music plays in the various rituals uh, and, and ceremonies and um, whatnot that a particular, uh, that a particular culture has. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, the church also has that as well. Like we have congregational singing that, um, as you may or may not know, dear listener, uh, congregational singing is a very important aspect to uh, what we do in worship because uh, when we're singing all together uh, in 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 unity, not unison, but unity, uh, we are jointly proclaiming uh, God's work in our lives, God's work in the world, um, and all the other uh, things that we're 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 particularly singing about, which is one of the reasons why it's so very critical to get that part right, mm-hmm. um, because we want to we want to teach good things you know, through through the music, biblical things through the music. Uh, um, we also want to uh, be good ethnographers of our own culture to begin to understand where these these people are coming from. And I, I think I talked about this this concept a little bit before, but you talking about ethnodoxology has me kind of the wheels spinning, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, because it's it's so much more than, like you said, translating just as I am into a different language. Um, first of all, maybe you could pick a different song too, but um, then you're, you're, it's not just translating the words, it's right. translating the actual melodies and harmonies as well right. uh, to take on those cultural meanings uh, so that it's, it's understandable what you're doing um, as a, as a missionary, like the, the, the culture will understand you. And even as, ourselves i mean um and i honestly i think this is what drives a lot of uh maybe this is what started the worship wars is kind of this idea that we have to make our music understandable to the to the the next generation or whatever yeah and that um, was that was definitely a, a very pivotal pivotal um reason for the for the mm-hmm. worship wars was was trying to uh be seeker sensitive sure but i guess what we have to do then too is ask ourselves what is acceptable in doing that and what is is not because at at some level christianity is not a western religion i know there's probably quite a few people out there today that think it is but it's not um it's it's a worldwide religion um and there are people all around the world 
this isn't and you know i think you have more to say about this than than i am trying to do here yeah. uh, i i just wanted to point out though that it's a like um it's a worldwide religion and therefore um you're not like there is something about it that's not that's that's otherworldly right you know what i mean yeah like, it is. It, it's outside of the it is for every tribe every tongue every people every land and uh and so because of that yeah we can't just lock it into the western music box you can't just lock it into what our culture says it is um because it wasn't jesus didn't die for america i mean he didn't not die for america but that he didn't die primarily for america he died arguably primarily for the jews but also for the greek and uh, and so it is very important that we don't equate christian worship with western music and when we do equate christian music or Christian worship with Western music, we we run into some some very rough water. Um, I wanted to to state that every culture has a different musical excellence standard. Every mm-hmm. culture has different music of its of its own. There, I forget how many different major music systems uh, that are um, current. Like Western music is what you would consider to be like the European and American music styles. When you think of like the hymnal with the sheet music, with the, with the, you know, the all cows eat grass and every good boy <laughs> does fine. You know, when you think of stuff like that, if you don't know what that means, go look it up. Um, <laughs> I know that one. Yeah. And so, you know, when you, when you think of, of that, like that is Western music. If you were to go to India and hand someone American sheet music, they, if they're educated in American music, they, they might be able to know it, but um, they have their own musical style, their own musical notations, their own musical structural system. Um, uh, the Orient has their own as well. Uh, African tribes, they have their own. Um, I remember hearing about, I think it was possibly in Pompeii, like one of the things that was one of the artifacts that was discovered was um, what they believed to have been um, some sort of musical notation, but they have no idea. Really? They have no idea what it means. Like people have not been able to decipher it. They can just tell we're pretty sure this is their musical form, but we don't have any reference to how it works. Um, And so, you know, the, the, there might have been a uh, a an ancient psalter that had musical notes to go with it for the Levitical priests. But if we well, if we had a you... copy of it, we don't know. Like like they may have had a written form of their music. It may not have just been yeah. hand, but we wouldn't be able to read it today because we don't know what it means like the song of the doe in the morning or whatever, you know, there, there are yeah. certain songs that do like the, to be sung to the tune of do not destroy. That's, that's one I've heard recently. 
Yeah. Uh, and there's a few others. Yeah. And so, you know, and, but whether or not they had that written or not, we don't, we don't know because we've not found any artifacts of it, but, um, so every culture has its own musical style and no one human based standard can be applied to all cultures. Um, however, each culture can be compared to God's standards of excellence and beauty. You can listen to world music and if with an open mind and you can appreciate the beauty that's there. Like that was one of the things that we had in my world music class was we had like two CDs of just, um, just world music. Um, like, uh, like the, the didgeridoo. It's a very fascinating instrument. It's kind of like a, a mixture between a mouth harp and a kazoo. It's from, uh, Australia. And it's just, it's fascinating to listen to. And when someone is playing very skilled, you can appreciate that because it's held up to the standard of God's beauty. Cause God is beautiful and things that are beautiful reflect God, even if dimly they can still reflect God. And so you can, with very little world music education, still be able to make judgments based on what you're listening to. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to say that, uh, I believe that scripture is silent on aesthetic standards, uh, specifically about like cultural music, uh, in order so that Christianity as a religion and, and, uh, Christian praise and worship practices, uh, can be allowed to fit into every culture. And so this is what I meant when I said, uh, this is kind of making an argument from the silence, you know, in the old Testament, we have very specific musical commands, but those commands are also for a very specific culture at a very specific time. And if we were to apply like that passage from Psalm 150 uh, directly to us, then if we were to to take that as a prescription for what Christian worship should look like, then we would only be able to use the trumpet, the lute, the harp, the tambourine uh, dancing, strings, pipe, and uh, loud clashing cymbals. Those would be the only instruments that we could use. And in Western music, we don't have that. Like that was an ancient Middle Eastern musical practice that used those specific instruments. We in the modern evangelical church, we tend to have an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, a bass guitar, a drum, a keyboard, maybe a piano, and maybe some sort of color instrument as well, depending on what people can play. Some churches, a lute. A lute. Some churches <laughs> might still be backward and use an organ or a piano and maybe even a small ensemble of orchestral instruments. Um, totally just mocking that. I think that that's beautiful. I, I like, I like that style. Just it's funny much. you mentioned that. Uh, when we lived in Arizona, the church we went to actually had an orchestra, uh, but they only played like a couple of times. And uh, then I think they were, they might've been disbanded. I can't remember what happened, but it was always nice when they, they would play. Yeah. The church I grew up in had an orchestra. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so they would go down, they'd play their music, and then when they were done, they would all go back to their seats, sit with their families. But um, and so the Old Testament and the Psalms, uh, you know, it's very specific, very cultural, and it would not fit in Western culture very well. And so in the New Testament, the musical commands are much more broad. You know, we get singing. We don't we so we say sing. We don't have a command to sing in harmony. We don't have a command to play instruments. But we also don't have, it doesn't say don't, which is a terrible argument if you're trying to argue from the Bible. It doesn't say don't. Um, but I believe the reason why it doesn't say don't play instruments is so that worship can fit in any culture. And... Um, that way we're not getting pigeonholed into ancient Near Eastern musical cultures. Just like we shouldn't get pigeonholed into the Western culture, we shouldn't get pigeonholed into ancient Near Eastern culture. We shouldn't get pigeonholed into any culture. The gospel, we know, was meant for every tribe, every tongue, every people, every land. We know that every tribe, every tongue, every people, every land have their own musical styles and their own, their own standards of excellence. And so why wouldn't worship practices be able to fit into every tribe, every tongue, every people, every land? And I believe that's why the Bible was silent on, on prescribed musical, uh, musical commands in the New Testament. Um, I, I don't think that I'm just completely making an argument from silence. I don't think I'm simply saying, well, it doesn't say don't, um, because there's a lot of things the Bible doesn't say don't do, but that's where you get into the normative principle. That's where you get into, um, into strange things and into a very potentially very quickly getting into stuff that, that if you give it any sort of thought, you can tell this isn't right, which in a lot of ways is what Bethel Hillsong and Elevation are all doing because the Bible says don't, but because the Bible doesn't say don't sing about mystical uh, desires to, you know, be physically closer to Jesus, then it's fair game when mm-hmm. really you know, a lot of those songs create a new Jesus and creating that new Jesus, uh, you know, breaks the second commandment. That's something that, yeah. that we talked about in the pre-show game warm up. <laughs> in the unrecorded pre-show, uh, coming soon to a podcast near you. It'd be a really boring podcast since it's not recorded. Well, maybe the ideas will stand. Maybe so. So, um, so that's, that's kind of, that, that's kind of where my argument goes. I, I have biblical reasons for, for how I landed there, but it is an argument from silence. So I, I wanted to give you uh, time to talk about that if you wanted, if you wanted to play devil's advocate or whatnot. Well, all I want to say is kind of what I, I said above and, the only thing, uh, you know, again, I need to, I need to do some more reading on this. I think, um, I think that's where, where it's coming down to, but 
the way that I can I could see it is like I said before that along with the Levitical priesthood, along with the temple and temple worship and burning of incense, etc., the mm-hmm. musical instruments themselves also uh, were kind of uh, were were all wrapped up in within that temple worship, um, and therefore were uh, superseded by Christ when He came and um, is the new temple. And um, First Peter would even call us, uh, you know, kind of like the stones of that temple, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, that were all kind of built into it. Um, but Christ is our head, and He is the one who came. Uh, and freed us from from all those laws that we we had to follow like mm-hmm. the well you can only use you know these four instruments trumpet lute lyre and the other one the didgeroo i think you mentioned yeah um yes uh it's in the hebrew um so i'm not sure personally where where to go here uh i i i see kind of like both sides i guess yeah but honestly it's going to take a lot more uh good and necessary consequencing uh yeah (laughs) for me um either way um and 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 so but i i am quite intrigued um by the whole idea that you laid out of this ethno doxology Mm -hmm. um i just wonder is what that is is that what we're doing to ourselves uh and and where where does where where do so many modern worship songs get off the bus right under the kind of the cover of this uh well yeah. at the, i don't know how your professor would refer to it if if that is still i mean using technical terms like ethno doxology uh it seems like it would be all people um not just some so where where would they get off the bus of you know like well that's that's a lot but then this other thing here is is not um and and that's and that is where it gets tricky if you are psalmody exclusive then the line is very hard it's very black it's you have 150 songs, which are plenty, which are absolutely plenty. And really more than that, because many of the Psalms are broken up into yeah. uh, various pieces and parts. So you have like Psalm, uh, you, you know, Psalm 1A uh, and Psalm 1B, uh, yeah. et cetera. And so, you know, you have, there are enough songs. And and also most psalmody exclusive churches are not anti creating new original tunes or even, you know, a new paraphrase of, of the Psalm, you know, they're not against that. And so if you include that, then you have even more uh, to look into. Um, and there are a lot of different ministries out there. Um, Cardiphonia is a group mm-hmm. of different musicians that kind of come together and create, um, create music i think that they kind of started backward like they started doing like their first like i I think their major album where they actually had like 
their biggest collaboration and like good sound quality and stuff. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. it was like Psalm uh, one thirty five to one fifty, mm-hmm. and then they did the Psalms before that, and then they've gone all the way up to one nineteen. So I think they have from one nineteen on, they've got just a bunch of different songs. I haven't listened to all of them. I just got their first album. There's some really good stuff. There's some really weird stuff. They're all sorts of different styles. Um, there's more music that is not my style than is my style, but it's a very wide variety of, of styles and church cultures, which I think that that's that the collection of different styles. I think it's beautiful. Yes, uh, I agree. And there's others too. I mean, there's diverses project that, mm-hmm. um, the worship leaders at my own church um, here in town um, are, are part of where they're actually taking the full text, the full uh, text out of the ESV and putting it to song of various uh, passages. And they, they have a lot on their website too, if you want. And, and it is, it's really amazing. I, I guess the question I have is you, you mentioned like, the Psalms, will you have enough? What did you mean by enough? And is there a certain number that we need or is there some limit? Um, and that's my first question. Right. And the second is more of an, is more of a observation, which is, I wonder if we take, we could take this as good psalmists, exclude, uh, you know, EP exclusive psalmists, uh, which um, you're, I, I don't believe you are, and no. I'm, I'm, I'm not at this point. Um, but I know we've both dabbled, and but if we were to take that concept and of ethnodoxology to marry the uh, the Psalms to the 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 melodies of um, a particular culture or subculture yeah well psalms are in no way western poetry they're ancient near, right they're ancient uh, near east uh, right poetry and so right. i think one of the reasons why the american church and the western church doesn't do a lot of song singing psalm singing mm. is because you have to rewrite them into our poetry you have to rewrite mm. them into like how does our music how would this fit in our music Right, and, like all metered out. And, and so because, I believe that because of that translation, a lot of stuff gets lost, and it's not, I'd say in a lot of ways, it loses its beauty uh, when, mm-hmm. you, when you translate it. Because even if you translate it into you know this verse form, you're still, like you might be in the middle of a, of a Bible verse when you get to the end of the, musical verse and then you finish mm-hmm. your bible verse at the beginning of the next musical verse that can be really jarring because your your emphases will then change and you know when you're writing music and you have a melodic line you have like high notes and those have certain uh, certain emphases and so you have to kind of restructure the verses to where you're getting your your emphases where you want them and and it can you can lose a lot of the beauty of the Hebrew poetry. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of people don't write it, but also that's, that is a testament to you can do this in other cultures as well, because we're already, mm-hmm. you know, who are we to think that the Psalms were written in for Western music? 
if you can if you can force the psalms into western music you can force them into any uh into any culture and i i use that word it's probably not the best word it sounds a lot it sounds more negative than i mean it to be but i am of the persuasion that these psalms are uh, a sufficient guide to writing music and that we should use these psalms and what how the psalms are structured and how the psalms and what the psalms talk about the themes in the psalms and um and we should apply that to our musical culture so that we can write songs that can exhibit the same beauty that the mm-hmm. psalms do in their culture uh with with new and original music also we are allowed to talk about Jesus in the uh in the past tense as opposed to the future tense i'm willing to bet that somebody might have a problem with that statement oh i I absolutely know that people have a problem with that statement uh uh, yeah it's kind of but then the other part psalms as guide versus psalms as rule um that's kind of really the distinction there that we need to draw uh, what would Psalms as guide look like? What is Psalms as rule look like? Well, Psalms as rule, uh, I think we have a pretty good picture of that. Yeah. But what does Psalms as guide mean as it comes to creating new worship music mm-hmm. for the church? Yeah. And that's, that's really where, where this entire podcast comes from because we don't have a hard and fast line we don't have uh you know at at some point we've gone too far you know at some point we've absolutely crossed the line i believe reckless love crosses that line a lot of people disagree with me Uh, a lot of people say no that's perfectly fine song to sing and you can you know this because lots of churches sing that song um but if there was a song that says Oh, how I want to rub my fingers through your beard. Uh, uh, and that's just an example that I use because I, that I think is just such an obvious crossing of the line. There will be churches that would disagree that that doesn't cross the line. And those churches do not teach the gospel. Um, <laughs> but, well, um, you know, and, and I've, and I've seen some lyrics that are, worse than that i mean how about heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss i was just gonna say that. i was totally thinking that um, i was just waiting i was yeah. waiting to pounce waiting to pounce and uh and that's not the same as saying i want to give jesus a sloppy wet kiss which would be something completely different and would very much be crossing the line on so many levels um but at the same time, that's kind of what the song is saying. Um, that heaven meets earth, meaning Jesus came to earth in a very romantic style. Anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that's maybe a little bit off topic, but there is that verse. Is it in the Psalms or is it in like Isaiah where, 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 uh, <sighs> Justice and peace kiss each other. Um, 
and it's a beautiful picture really of of the cross where both justice is satisfied but also love is uh shown um and i i cannot remember where that particular verse is but i will try to look for it yeah good follow-up for next time so that's, that's kind of where i'm coming with with all of that um and so that's my big my big argument from from silence is i believe that we have a lack of musical direction in the new testament so that we don't pigeonhole into one culture and i believe that this is a biblical argument because we do know that christianity is for every tribe every tongue every people every land and we can see by looking at every tribe that each tribe has its own music and its own musical culture, its own musical style. And um, so I'm going to kind of press forward into Western music. And I've got a couple more things to say before we wrap up because it's getting late. And uh, Sure thing. And I would say that eat every person like even just getting down to the individual, every person has their own musical style and their own musical preference. And, and this is something that they can connect with the most. Music is a very interesting tool in that it can connect to a person in a very emotional way and in, in, and also in a very spiritual way. And, and I'm going to use the word mystical way because that's the, probably the best way to say it. But I don't mean that in a in a bad way. I mean, it's there okay. is music can connect with people in a way that cannot be explained. And every person has their own musical taste. Um, you know that my favorite band is Switchfoot. I know that yours is the Newsboys. <laughs> and um, they're coming to silver dollar city this year. Nice. Too. We gotta, we gotta get down there. So when are they, when are they going? Like uh, I just saw that they, that was announced that they were coming. Uh, I saw that on Silver Dollar City's uh, Facebook page or something. I don't remember. Yeah, if that yeah. if they still come and if that happens and if and if it's not directly when I'm having a baby, maybe <laughs> not this year. It might be a different year, but sometime, sometime you and I we need to we need to bring our families to Silver Dollar City. Oh my goodness, that'd be so much fun! Mm-hmm. I love that place. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you're probably not from you're the heathen. Midwest. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but now that you said it, yeah. <laughs> so you need to it's consider like, yourself. It's probably smack in between us. Mm-hmm. That that's probably true. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not not uh, going to Branson. It's, it's, it's probably a little closer to me than it is to you. I'd yeah. imagine. We we took our family to Branson well, and they did fine. So. Okay. It was right at the beginning of COVID, and so not everything mm-hmm. was closed, but mm-hmm. almost everything was closed. <laughs> so there's that. So anyway, moving on. Every person has their own prefer- uh, preference of music. I mentioned Newsboys and Switchfoot because they're similar. Yeah. They're similar, but they're but they're very different as well. You know, they they have some similar um, s- some similar attributes especially when you like look back at like when newsboys was good and mm-hmm. when switchfoot Wait. Was, and when switchfoot was young um oh you mean when phil joel was there got it okay yes and, and peter furler yes and jody davis 
Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. Classic. Um, and when Switchfoot was young, you know, you, you could see, you know, there's a lot of similarities to them, but they're also very different. They talk about different things. They, they use different types of metaphors. Switchfoot mm-hmm. doesn't talk about breakfast as much as they should. Um, <laughs> Switchfoot never did a disco album. So, you know, there's lots of different things yeah, you can talk about. Switchfoot has some shortcomings, but yes. you know, they're, they're, they're a pretty good band and they're, I know they're coming up and doing great things. And, but you and I, we, there's a lot of overlap between you and I about song, about musical preference. We could probably, you and I could be in a room and we could sing probably for days and both connect with the songs in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the more people you get involved, the more different the musical preference and the slimmer the overlap. And so the more people you get together, um, the fewer song options you have to play where that will connect strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it may even be like a style thing. Like I might be able to play a song a certain way that connects with certain people a certain way. But if I play it even the same song, but a different way, um, it will connect with a different group of people. For example, uh, there is a bomb in Gilead is typically a very, um, it's, it's a very somber song. Yeah. Uh, I've heard choral arrangements of it. It's, it's very somber. Our theme song is not somber. That is not a word no. I would use to describe our theme song. <laughs> I I really like how how I, I how I arrange that and uh, so you, you, so there's different ways to do different things and they can bring out different aspects of the song as well. Uh, another example, um, I have a version of the song "Love Lifted Me" that I that I arranged mm-hmm. and I wrote a new mm-hmm. tune to. And, yeah, and, it needs a new tune. I will say it, it, it's. Uh, <laughs> And you know, anyway, the, the original ahead. tune, you know, the traditional tune is very peppy. Um, and in the song is about being saved. And so there's a lot to be happy about. And, and pep is a good thing to, to, to bring that out. So the prosody of the pep with the words mm-hmm. really brings out the peppiness of <laughs> the idea. Whereas mine is a lot more, um, I wouldn't say lamentful, but it's, but it is more, there's a lot more minor tones with it. Um, you still have a, a lifting of the spirit, but you also have an acknowledgement of the sin and the, and mm-hmm. the prosody of, of the tune that I, that I wrote for it. Mm-hmm. And so I just say that to mean like you can sing the same song different ways to, to bring out different things and, to, and, and that will connect with different people. So each church each body of believers you get 200 people in a room you're really going to be slimming down where that overlap is and uh, and this isn't necessarily to say that um, it is important to meet to to play songs in the overlap but I do want to say it is important that we need to acknowledge that there is an overlap uh, and that there is musical preference. I think this is something that music ministers need to be aware of that it exists. Uh, I think a lot of music ministers play what the music minister likes and that's all that they care about is if mm-hmm. I like the song, then it passes my, my list and I'm going to play it. Whereas good music ministers 
will take into account songs that they don't particularly enjoy stylistically, but that might speak into certain people in their congregation. And so when you're putting together like a, um, you know, the, the worship playlist, you know, if you're your list of songs that you're going to play that week, um, you can incorporate a diverse uh, amount of songs and those then songs collectively will um, appeal to a very broad group of the people in the church. And, uh, and so this is more of a, of, a, of a technical aspect. But when we acknowledge that there are, uh, there are different musical standards and when we acknowledge that there are different what are called heart musics, that's what we call it in seminary, each person is mm-hmm. heart music. Um, okay. When you are aware of that, then a music minister can choose songs that can then connect with the church on a, on a level that is hard to explain. Uh, it's hard to define. Uh, so I use the word mystical because of that aspect. And so that, that leads me to my final point. And I'm going to, uh, we're not going to talk too much into it. We can talk a little bit, but I'm going to unpack this next point in the next episode, but I want to go ahead and, and kind of leave you with this because it's getting late, but church okay. churches shouldn't seek to please their congregation by bending to their preferences, but it is important to be mindful of the preference overlap as churches should seek to connect with that, with their congregation and uh, so that is kind of my big, bold statement. Uh, I wrote that last couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to end <laughs> end on that note, but I can at least pause on that. It's going to be a taste, a taste for you, dear listener, who have made it this far. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. Um, so we have some... Uh, we, we have, have some, some loose ends to tie yeah, up. Some loose ends to tie up. We have some quotes from some books that we that we've been reading and get some Jonathan Edwards stuff and some other things. And I had there's a really cool book that I read called um, uh, "Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns." Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and they had some really interesting things to talk about. And so the next episode, we're going to unpack that idea about this this. Uh, preference overlap and how do we really handle it? How do we try to uh, be mindful of it without bending to it? And what does it look like to bend to it? What does it look like not to bend to it? Um, And so we'll get into some more practical things uh, in in our next episode. Um, But yeah, I wanted to, to close by saying that fair is the sunshine Fair is still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry hosts. Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. There is a bomb in the to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb. Discouraged
listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balm and Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. That sounds like something is fully charged or that is coming uncharged or something. Oh. Uh, So it's my iPod. Okay. um, Which does not charge very well. Is it really an iPod? And so it goes, huh? You really have an iPod? Yeah. Oh.